Welcome back to Software Social. This episode is sponsored by Odeer, the website monitoring app. As an Odeer customer myself, I particularly like how easy it is to make SLA reports with Odeer. They're professional and sleek, and they make it easier for us to service enterprise customers. And I actually requested this feature myself last year, um, and I'm so delighted with how open to suggestions they are. You can sign up for a free 10-day trial with no credit card required at odeer.app. So, Michelle, how has your week been? It's good. It's good. You know, I was I was doing some writing this morning, uh, which is, is funny. I've realized it's like my reward work. Like, you know, when I get through all the other stuff, like it's like, oh, like now I have some writing time. And That's amazing <laughs> because I remember being in high school and like English, like whenever I had to write a paper, it was literally my least favorite thing to do. So I find that fascinating that for you, writing is your reward work. I Five paragraph essays are, I don't think anyone looks forward to writing those. Like this is very different than, than that. Um, but so I was, I was writing and I started thinking about this framework that I know we've talked about. And it occurred to me that I have a very tangible example of that. Um, which framework story brand? No. So it's a Marty Kagan framework. Okay. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to back up first. So there's this misconception. I think that people sometimes have or fear about customer research that if they start listening to their customers, then they have to do everything the customers ask them for. And they're basically like giving up control over the vision of the product to the customer. Okay. And that's not true, right? Like you always have to weigh it against um, what makes sense for you to do. And so there's this one framework that I particularly like um, that was developed by Marty Kagan, who is kind of like the the product guru. Like he's the head of this uh, consultancy called the Silicon Valley Product Group. Like he is like the product guy. And... In order for a product to to be successful, he says how it needs to be valuable, viable, usable, and feasible. Wow. Valuable, viable, usable, feasible. So let's (laughs) break it down a little bit. (laughs) So first it has to be valuable for the customer. Like it has to be something that is, you know, accomplishes something for them and helps them do something, right? Because if it's something that doesn't help them, do something that they would want to do, then they wouldn't use it. Like the example I kind of think of for this is what was that startup that would like squeeze a bag of pureed fruit for you? Like Juicero, like it was some, like they raised like billions of dollars or whatever for like a smoothie machine. And everyone was like, why? Like, <laughs> like not really very valuable to people. Right. I'm sure okay. they had wonderful ideas and they were great people. Um, it has to be viable, which means it has to be like commercially viable. Like people have to be willing to pay for it. So like I could make something that's super awesome and useful, but if no one is willing to pay for it, then it's not a viable product, right? Like if I'm solving a problem that no one experiences painfully enough to, to pay someone to solve it, then it's not going to work out. Okay. It has to be usable, which may be the easiest of all these words to understand that like it, they have to be able to figure out how to use it. So you may have heard this in the context of usability testing, but it's basically like if I make a website that you can do something on, but you can't actually figure out how to do that and it's confusing, then it doesn't matter if what the product does is something that's valuable to you. If you can't figure out how to do it, you're going to move on to something else. Right. And then the last one is it has to be feasible, 
Like it has to be possible for you to produce this product. So oh okay. So this would be equivalent of being me being like Colleen. I really need a spaceship, and you being like, right. "That's awesome. I can see that's valuable for you. Maybe you have the ability to pay for that. I don't, but you know, let's go with it. Um, I can build it in a way that that you can use it. You know, you're an engineer, right? Any kind of engineer can build any kind of thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you could build a bridge. No, I'm. I'm for all the certified engineers out there. I'm aware that they're not all transferable. Um. <laughs> But it, was, it wouldn't be feasible for you to build that. Right. So so this framework of valuable, viable, usable, and, and feasible is something that I always keep in mind when we're getting feedback from people because you don't necessarily act on every single problem and every piece of advice that you hear. And, like, and that's okay. Yeah. Okay. And so a specific example of this that relates to the book and to something we have been talking about quite a bit is consulting and whether I should do consulting related to the book. Right. So it's something we've talked about and I've gotten quite a few requests from people about. And, you know, as I thought about it, okay, so clearly this would be valuable for people. Like they, they feel like they need help getting started with understanding their customers. Um, they seem to be willing to pay for it. I don't know what that would be. Like, I granted, I haven't told anyone, like, cool, here's, you know, an invoice for, I don't know, $500 for a 30-minute conversation or whatever it is people charge. But, like, people seem to be willing to pay for this, and they've told me that they pay other people for this. So there's clearly an ability and desire to pay there. Um, and then usable. Like, I feel like I would be able to deliver it in a way that would make it useful for them. But it's not feasible. Why not? Time zones. Oh, and also the fact that I already have a business that I need to keep going. So I like I already have a pressure on my time in that regard. But I basically only have one hour of decent overlap with the US, which is from one hour from nine to 10 a.m. Eastern. Wow. Because what time is nine to 10 a.m. Eastern in Denmark? So that's 3, 3 p.m. So our daughter gets out of school oh. at three. So yeah. making anything else work requires a huge amount of scheduled gymnastics for me. And I already have customers that I need to have, you know, calls with anyway. Um, like, and and so if I were to do consulting, then I would have to say that I could like do it for everybody except North America, which totally doesn't make sense because, you know, if you assume that the audience for this podcast is, is a pretty good overlap with the people who might want me to consult for them. That would be like 80% of the audience um, would not be eligible and people might find that a bit off-putting or frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I, I mean, I just can't do it. Like I can, you know, 8 a.m. Eastern is a great time for me because that's 2 p.m. here. But like that's that's a bit early for, for business conversations. Um, yeah. And most of the time, like if I have to have a call with California, like it ends up being at nine o'clock my time. And yeah, that's even rough. even 9 a.m. is a bit early. Like I've worked in companies that like had like a basically an official like no meetings before 10, but really not before 11 rule. Um, <laughs> like if you had a 9 a.m. meeting, it was like, God, like, why are you punishing them? Um, so it's just it's not feasible for me. So okay. maybe it will be in, you know, 15 years when I don't have a child at home. And I can, you know, just blow through dinner time, like, and work. And, like, honestly, it's probably not going to be good for my work-life balance. Like, but um, it's it's simply not feasible. Is this 
something you want to do? Or is this just a like convenient reason not to do it because you already don't want to do it? I was trying to dive into like why the thought of it was even like immediate no in my head. Right. And I okay. think that was kind of a, and like the reason was like, I don't have time for that. And then it's like, yeah, but I do like I I have time to work already. So why wouldn't that fit into my existing work time? And it's because it wouldn't happen during the work time. Now I could be like, oh, I'll just consult for people in the UK. But like, I, like most of my network is in the US anyway. Um, yeah. And so and I think it's just easier just to say no to everything. But again, as we kind of talked about, like I could always do this five or 10 years from now. Um, and people have asked me about courses too. Uh, which is easier to make work across time zones. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really a natural teacher. So I admit that that like, that kind of scares me because I feel like I would not only have to learn like how to create a course, but I would have to learn like how to teach, which is, you know, a, a skill set that people to go to school for for four to six years to learn. Like it's not a, um, it's not an insignificant thing to learn how to do. Yeah. Well, you already have a lot of demands on your time. So I don't know that adding consulting would be good for you, even if you were in the U.S. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you actually used to have a course, right? Or you were starting one or... <laughs> yeah. So one of my many, many business ideas, <laughs> I was going to do a course and holy cow, it was so much more work than I anticipated. So I decided not to do it. Th- and that was a good decision. <laughs> I think when we first met, you were like getting that course going. Yeah, I think I did a couple videos. I mean, my um, my idea had been to do a Ruby on Rails course for beginners and try to like incorporate some more advanced topics. So like an advanced beginner course. But, and I know some people have a lot of success with courses, but, you know, I started doing it and it was just like, because I was trying to do a video course, it was a tremendous amount of work. And I found that I, this this was years ago too, right? This was a couple of years ago and I didn't have any audience or network, so to speak of. And I think to be successful with a course, a couple of things have to happen. You either have to have the right course at the right time. So you're releasing a course on something that is new and hot and everyone wants to learn about. Or I think you have to have a really well-established network and audience. And I had neither of those things at that time. Um, and, And also, you know, people talk about being on like the content treadmill. So the thing about if your business, if your primary business is a subscription video service or, a, you know, subscription uh, courses, like you have to constantly be producing content. And that wasn't really something that I wanted to do either. So yeah, the course was just the video course was just so much work. <laughs> like the editing and the trying not to talk over myself and the, oh my goodness. So it wasn't a good fit to, for me. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a good fit for you in the future. I mean, there's tons of opportunity there. I'm curious, how long did you work on that course from like when you had the idea to when you ended up giving up on it? I don't remember. So I started with a couple intro videos. And I mean, we're talking like 10, 15 minute videos and they would take me hours. That was the first problem. And then I I actually was going to do it with a friend who has a really successful um, Ruby on Rails template. So he and I recorded 
I mean, Michelle, we risked recorded 10 hours of video. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, I still have it. So, um, yeah, for the Rails listeners, it's um, the guy who developed Bullet Train. And Bullet Train is like a really opinionated Ruby on Rails SaaS kind of template builder to start with. And he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. And so I really was fascinated in terms of like, there's some more advanced concepts that you never really get in the material that's out there. And a big one he feels really strongly about is domain modeling and like how to do your domain modeling. And this is a thing I, I found that as a developer, like there's tons of entry level courses. And as soon as you get past entry level, it gets harder. Like when you get to the point where you can't Google the answer for what you're trying to figure out, there isn't a lot. It's more about like learning and problem solving. And there aren't a lot of courses or examples or things that can like draw you in to these more advanced concepts. So Andrew and I had talked about doing a course, like kind of teaching people about domain modeling, um, which was really cool because I really love the way he's done it in bullet train. And I've worked on a lot of different apps and typically it's kind of a mess, right? Like, because you don't, you don't really think big term. I mean, things grow and things and things evolve. And that's the nature of software. Um, whereas Andrew's, the way he tries to handle it is it's top down. Like, you know, you don't think you're going to need teams and users and, um, you know, join tables, but you should oh God, start you there. You <laughs> we thought that and we did. <laughs> Retrofitting right. that later is uh, painful to the point where we haven't like fully, like we've like half done it and we need to do more of it and it's oh god just retrofitting like user access controls like that is that's like yes. one of those things if i can fly back to me 8 years ago when we were building <laughs> this it's like just <laughs> build that in from the beginning people are going to want a billing user they're going to you know <laughs> right that's literally exactly what what it was about it was about that because when you start you don't care right or you don't think about it because you're like i i don't need to get that complicated but if you start from the beginning with that framework when you're where you guys are it's so much easier <laughs> to retrofit in all that stuff because it's already there. Anyway, now that I'm talking about it, I'm getting excited about it I again. Tell. <laughs> I like, wanna, like you I really do, do see a void for this. But I think like I think it's important to to bring up though because you like you tried a bunch of stuff before you found something that's um kind, oh, yeah. kind of working, right? Like I mean we like we launched stuff that didn't work. Like I think people kind of, you know, you listen to like podcasts like this or whatnot and you're like wow, like this person has everything figured out and they're just amazing and there's something about them that like makes them what they make successful or, or whatever. And I'm like, no, dude, like we've had stuff that failed. Like that's normal. Like, yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there who has launched something successfully and not had 10 other things behind it that were either total duds or like just completely, you know, never got off the ground or were soundly rejected or panned on Reddit, which one of ours was. Um, <laughs> but anyway, speaking of um, remotely successful products, Colleen, is it time for our weekly numbers update on Simple File Upload? And your weekly update for Simple File <laughs> Upload. <laughs> yes. So this week I crossed the 1000 MRR mark. We have totally buried the lead. <laughs> I know, right? We oh should. my god! <laughs> I'm super. I mean, it was really exciting. Um, oh my god! And that, yes, yeah. So that really makes it feel like 
a real business, if you will. I mean, a thousand dollars, that's like real money. That even is after real I pay, money. Yeah. Like even after I pay all my, you know, I do have the the hosting fees and the Heroku takes a cut. But um yeah, it was really exciting. Wait, so I think last time we like really dove into the numbers on it, your yes. costs of what you know, what we would sort of call in business jargon the cost of goods sold which is like you know servers and and everything that you have to pay for in order to make the app run um that was like two hundred dollars a month and you thought it would be pretty like consistent yeah are you is that still true oh yeah yeah that's still true um now I do so it's that's that's probably an estimate of all the the fees and like you said server hosting storage and then Heroku takes 30% because I'm in their marketplace Oof. much like the App Store. I know it really Ow. hurts. Like you're just like, "Oh, ouch." <laughs> but I know. But you know what? I mean, I still will bang the drum or whatever that phrase is on this for launching this in a marketplace was just such a good idea. Because if I look at the users I have coming from the open internet versus the users I have coming from Heroku, like far and above, the majority of my paid users are coming from Heroku. So so if your cost of goods sold is $200 a month, and f- for purposes of this, we're pulling out that processing or like, mar- you know, sort of marketplace fee, which is 30%. So then basically your margin is like $500 a month. Does that sound right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. I know. I was pretty excited. Um, yeah, so it's it's good. That's really interesting for when, you know, if you're able to get to a point eventually where you're selling outside of Heroku, like that, you know, if we were to assume an 80% margin, like that, that's pretty good. That's where a lot of software businesses are. Um, so it's, I mean, it sounds like your, your fundamentals are pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've talked a lot about, I think last week I was a little frustrated because I still can't really identify my ideal customer or people who are even using it. But I think one of the huge benefits of being in this marketplace is um, people are signing up. So the more people I get signing up, the more chances I have that someone will actually, that I'll, I'll be able to talk to people and kind of figure out my value proposition. I'm finding a lot of people, a lot more people are finding me on the internet. Um, so I'm getting a lot more signups that bounce when they see you have to have a credit card up front. Mm. But I mean, on the on the plus side, that means there's clearly a demand for this. This is clearly a thing people want because a lot of people are signing up now. Will a lot of people pay for it is always the the you know the thing you're trying to figure out. But I'm seeing um, quite a lot of people putting in their email address, putting in their email addresses um, on my non Heroku site. How uh, like upfront does your non-Heroku site make it that people have to put in a credit card for the free trial? So the way it works right now is you sign up and then, then you go to the pricing page and then you click the button to say sign up for this plan and then you have to put a credit card in. But like on the landing page itself, does it make it clear that a credit card is required for the trial? No. You should probably do that. Yeah, I thought about that, but I was looking at other people's landing pages and no one really, like, that doesn't seem to be 
a thing people do. Because hmm. it feels like, where would you put it? In like small print under free free trial, free seven-day trial, credit card required for sign up? Yeah. I, 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 you know, something that I noticed with that is that when somebody has a free trial and no credit card is required, they always say they that. They write, no credit card required, right? But when they do require a credit card, they don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that that tells me something. Now, oh, yeah. No one wants to put I a mean, credit card I mean, a lot in. of big companies, it. like, they'll, you know, if you if you are uh, a marketing person who is incentivized for email signups, then, yeah, you're going to want to hide the fact that a credit card is required because that's how you hit your metrics. Um, but also the incentive should be redesigned in that case. Um, but I think it's worth at least having that somewhere on the landing page because, as you said, then people are bouncing and so... There's no point in you having this pile of email addresses from people who yeah. aren't going to pay for it unless you wanted to try to monetize them some other way. But that doesn't really seem to be nope. like something you want to do. And also with like GDPR and CCPA and all of those privacy acronyms, like it could be, you know, a liability for you. Yeah, I was thinking about it because I've seen so many signups recently. So I think that's a... But I've, the reason I didn't put it was because I've never seen it. And I was like, is that a huge turnoff to be like, credit card required for sign up? But I agree. I'm not doing anything with the, those email addresses. I mean, in the future, maybe I can remove it and try a different kind of, you know, when I have more time or I'm a little bit bigger um, and maybe try to learn more about those people. But at this point, it doesn't do me any good. Like, I'm not keeping their email addresses or anything. Um you know so I'm just seeing that there's a lot of traffic. I wonder how... So I signed up for, for Savvy Cal recently. Uh, yeah. Speaking of all of my time zone issues, like I had to make this little redirect basically so that when people request to have a meeting with me, it, the browser detects their time zone and then it sends them to a, the calendar based on their time zone because like I'll only do those 9 p.m. calls for, um, you know, people on the West Coast, for example. Um mm-hmm. But so I signed up for for SavvyCal and they have a seven day free trial with a credit card required. And now I'm looking at their website to see how clear that was, because I remember that like I knew that it would be required and like that they would just automatically charge me after that point. And I'm actually looking at their landing page. Oh, okay. actually, it it does just say get started for free. See, no, no one says that. But maybe they may like maybe isn't an automatic. Maybe it was an email they sent me instead that. um, Oh, okay, okay. So here's how it works. So it says what you can zero cost to create an account. But then once you're ready to start sharing your calendar links, then the one week free trial starts. And then that has automatic billing. Where did you get that in an email? It's on their pricing page. Okay, I'll look at that. That's probably a good idea. I like that. Like, yeah, it's it's free to create an account, but if you actually want to upload files, you <laughs> sure have to you can give us your email address. But if you want to do anything, but <laughs> I think that, you know that, do like, that makes sense for like a product like this, where like there there is some amount of of stuff that might need to happen before you actually use the the product. Yeah. Like people might need to have internal discussions, or like you know, with this, like you have to kind of set it up. And there's also this positive effect where 
if you've done all of this work to get it set up, then you are more bought into the product. Like this is the approach that TurboTax uses. Like, I don't know if you noticed that they, I know they don't, they'll be like, well, it's free to file, but then it's, you know, 19 or 29 or it's free to do your taxes, whatever, but to actually (laughs) file your state one or to have us automatically send it to the IRS or whatever it is, like, then you have to pay for it. And all the, the people listening in other countries, like especially anyone in Denmark, where you can just file your taxes online, like for free. And like, you know, you don't have Intuit with this massive lobbying <laughs> budget making it complicated. Um, yeah, I mean, so so there's definitely some benefits to that kind of um, model. And I, I think as long as what you do, just like making it really clear um, yeah. what that like make it clear what's hap- going to happen to people. Yeah, I like the idea of putting it on the pricing page because I don't want it on my landing page because that's going to look bad. Um, but like if you click sign up for a free trial, I like having it on the pricing page because, again, it doesn't do anyone any good for I don't care about your email address if you're not interested. And you are annoyed because you fill out the welcome to my thing form and then you have to enter a credit card and you felt, you know, you didn't know. So I am. Um, I like this idea. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I think you, so your call to action. It says try it now. Sign up for a free th- 30 day trial yeah and i also wonder if you know changing that from like sign up to to be like you know start free trial or whatnot like me like because i think people really do grok the difference between free trial versus free tier Mm -hmm. um and and i saw that when i scrolled all the way down there's a a free 30-day trial but i don't actually see that above the fold on your site and so i wonder if making it clear that it's free trial would help with that okay i like i like changing it to start start your trial or something yeah because actually there's no button either like right below the header there's like there should be a button there that's like start your free trial oh there's no call to action button wait below the header so it says add file uploading to your app in minutes like Integrate file uploads in your website. No service required, blah, blah, blah. Like, where's the button? <laughs> Give me oh, a button. Yeah. <laughs> I lo- yeah, 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 totally. Um, but hey, while I'm looking at simplefileupload.com, for anyone yes, who's listening, um, <laughs> there is a testimonial there. Yay! Yay! I did. I got a testimonial up. <laughs> and it looks awesome. So, yeah, so I'm happy about that. Um. Uh, yeah, you're right. There should be a call to action button right here. Tell me what purple. to do, Colleen. Oh my gosh! See, this is like the stuff I don't Tell know about. Me you're to absolutely sign right. Up. Tell me to sign up. Start trial now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, I like it. Good point. And I guess yeah, you just want to like work on that wording because like as you know, the savvy Cal example, like the the trial doesn't start until you actually do something, and so it's like, does the trial start like right from the time they sign up or? Just, you know, wherever you can, like, make it clear what's going to happen to people. Yeah, so I think, so right now, if you click on sign up, it takes you to a nice sign up page. But then after you hit the sign up page, it takes you to the pricing page. I wonder if I should switch those since I'm going to require a credit card. And instead of taking you to the sign up page before the pricing page, sign up pricing page, which explains that you have to you know, pay, uh, not pay, I'm sorry, uh, that you have to enter your credit card and then a start trial button. 
Okay, so I'm actually going through it right now. Yeah, okay. Um, so let's do it live. Okay. Um, <laughs> Usability testing live with Michelle. F it, we'll do it live. Okay, so um, select okay. your plan. Try it out with a 30-day free trial. Up, upgrade or cancel at any time. Okay. So if you go back, though, if you start from the, the home page. Okay. So if you go to home, home, so go to home. And then sign up. Sign up. Yeah. So then it's just like a login screen. Right. Yeah, I wonder if maybe maybe you would you could also experiment with when you click sign up taking people to this pricing page. And That's then when I'm they thinking. click start trial, then they create an account. Yeah, and then they add a credit card and everything. Yeah, I tend to wonder if that's a better workflow. Um because again, I don't need to collect or want to collect information for people who don't want to put their credit card down. Yeah. So yeah. I think I'll do that. I like that. I like that idea. Um, yeah. And then they can go if sign up would take them to pricing and then under where it says select your pan, I'll have something like it's going to be a seven day trial, but I'll fix that. Try it out with a seven day trial credit. I mean, it sounds so bad. Credit card required when you are ready to use the service or something. I don't know. I'll figure that out. And I also noticed you have a 30 day money back guarantee. So a 30 oh day gosh. free trial and a 30 day money back guarantee. <laughs> no. no. Okay. I is do, but I shouldn't. Yeah. This is like, I need to change that. Oh my gosh. It's so funny that you said that because basically like this, the framework for this SaaS is built off of the bullet train app, which I mentioned earlier that Andrew and I were going to make a course for. And this is just like their default wording. <laughs> and I oh. literally like forgot to take it out. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I just, let's, no one has asked for their money back. So that's good. Yeah, that's also a liability for you. So yeah, no, I need to get, where did you see that? Uh, when I clicked on start trial from the pricing page. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. need to change that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you now have a lot of work on your plate. So yeah. I guess I should let you go. Plenty of things to do. Um, yeah. Great. This is good, though. This is good. I haven't really thought through that onboarding workflow in a long time. So I'm glad we took a look at it. Awesome. Well, I guess that'll wrap us up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please tweet about it or write us an iTunes review. Um, that means a lot to us. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, 
Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Work Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.